So today we're going to, uh, God willing, go from verse 11 to the end of the chapter. However, there's a lot of um, texts that support the, the, some of the other texts that we're going over. So we'll see if we get there. Um, if not, like, I don't know what your guys' plans are for the afternoon. Um, I don't know if you guys shop or whatever. So, I mean, we could stay and just go all the way through. Uh, but let me first open us up with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for today and thank you for your word. God, um, we just want to settle our hearts before you. Thank you for this time that we have set apart. Thank you for getting us here. Uh, going through all the possible warfare, spiritual warfare against our flesh, against principalities and powers that try to keep us away from getting here today. God, we thank you for the time we can have of worship and just singing to you and praising you. And we thank you, God, that you would settle our hearts right now as we get into your word, that uh, although we come from different walks of life and are in different places in our, our brief lives, that um, you would speak to us wherever we're at. And you would help us not only to learn your word, but also to apply it. Please empower us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to um, remove any, any blindness that we might have spiritually. Uh, I pray that if anyone here is not saved, that they would choose today for the day of salvation, that they would want to repent and follow you. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would just um, guide us and lead us to it. Let's pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, last week, we went over the first half of 2 Corinthians 6. Uh, we went over the marks of a minister or a servant. So, what does that look like to serve God? We went over that last week a little bit. Um, just, just to remind you, like, to set the, the, the scene a little bit. Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth um, was a very fleshly church. And wherever Paul would go, there would be people who would try to come in after him and mess with what he said. So it would be like, you know, if I was trying to discipline my kids and then, you know, someone else came through and said, like, no, you don't have to really do that. Or, or you know, don't worry about what they said. You know, what do they know? Um, just con constantly undermining his teaching. So you'll see that throughout a lot of his, his teaching that following him what, were these false teachers. Okay? And that, that's today too. Uh, we covered a little bit in the servants meeting that there are false teachers out there that we just have to be on guard. And that's why it's important that we know the Bible, that we, that we test everything with the Bible. Um, because there's so many different types of teachings that's out, that is out there. So one of the things that they were trying to mess with him, trying to question his, um, his commitment, right? And then he went over, like, some of the reasons of why he was so committed. Like, he got beat. He, like, suffered so many things, poor, being poor, homeless, um, shipwrecked, all these trials. And he's like, you know, why would I do that? You know what I'm saying? Why would I do that other than if I loved you, right? And um, it's just a good reminder, right? Like, um, just be careful, like, who's speaking into your life. And, and one of the things we're going to go over today is about not being unequally yoked with unbelievers. 
And in the context, he is talking about teachers, like not being unequally yoked with teachers. Like, so we have to be careful about who's speaking into our lives, right? And today, uh, not you know, different but similar to back then, is that we have a lot of teachers today because there's things called podcasts, right? There's there's uh, our news, our our feeds, right? That we just click through, and we just think we're home chilling, like it's not a big deal, and you know, it's our time to relax, but those things are speaking into our lives. So is it possible that we're being unequally yoked, you know, with the things of the world just simply by just following this guy or that person? And if they're not a believer, they're not empowered by the Holy Spirit, those things, they'll, they'll put thoughts in our head. And I remember during the pandemic, um, like, watch being, being on guard because the gospel kept getting hijacked by, by right-wing politics, by, um, you know, racism, by, you know, living in a mountain in Virginia somewhere by ourselves and not letting the government tax us. Like, there's so many things that, like, attach themselves to the Bible, and it, it seems good, but then if you follow those people, like, they're, they're, you know, they might be asking you to do things or telling you to do things that are not necessarily biblical, so you have to be careful. So I just kept reminding myself that because I started developing anger towards towards people. I started developing anger towards liberal agenda, like people, like, and it's like, wait, hold on. It's like, I got to love people. I have to love the person and hate the sin. Like, I don't want to be out there with a sign, God hates you. Like, that's not biblical, okay? Like, we have to love the person, where, but we can build up all these walls um, if we have, you know, if we're following the wrong people, if we're unequally yoked with unbelievers. Um, so just, just a, a side note. Because we're going to get deep into uh, relationships, marriage relationships, friend relationship, business relationships. But it is important to note that it is also um, who we're getting taught by. So last time we looked at some uh, sacrifices Paul made, some sacrifices we're going to make. We also look at the struggles we face as servants. Right? We, get, we know that we find victory through Jesus. We're known by him. Paul was known by God, even though... They were questioning, like, you know, you're not even one of the, the OG 12. Like, you know, you're this guy who just came, came through later, right? But he, he's, God knew him, and God had a plan for him, an uh, awesome plan for him. And he has an awesome plan for you today. Same spirit, right? Working in through us, like, it's just the availability. Um, here am I, send me. So we just have to also guard that. But. So today, we're going to look at the lives of the servants of Christ, some pitfalls we may face in ministry and that we may face in our walks. So let's get into 2 Corinthians 6, verse 11. All right. O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. Okay, our heart is wide open. Open here means to welcome and embrace you in love. Okay, he's saying he's keeping it real. All right, um, I'm a you know I, I've, I've mentioned a bunch of times that I teach high school, and uh, one one topic I love to teach is health. And when I when I'm teaching in health, a little different than phys ed. Like phys ed is more like I'm just you know beat, beating the kids in basketball and and hitting threes in their face and making them sad because. You know, I'm just really hurting their pride by destroying them in the game they love. But when I'm teaching health, um, 
I'm I'm able to really get get more into their uh, into personal life, and through it, I like to be open, right? So I'll share things that happened in my life to make points, um, you know. And the kids, they they sense that, right? Like kids, they have a really good sense of who's real and who's not real, who cares, who doesn't care. Um, and the same thing with with church leadership, um, you know, is the is the person up front. Are the servants, are they here to get paid? Are, are we here at Calvary Chapel at the Cross? Are we here for these sick paychecks that we can't, we, we're not paid? <laughs> Nobody here is paid, right? From, from uh, the pastor down to, you know, cleaning the bathroom. Nobody here is paid. We're doing it out of love for each other. We're doing it out of love for you. And God's worked in us, so now we're just pouring out the love. It's like he, he constrains us to do these things, right? But... There are places where some people, their, their motives might be a little different, right? But his heart is wide open, Paul's saying. Uh, when you're in ministry, you live in a glass house, so your life is open. So we know things about Pastor Drew from being up here. Um, if, you, you know, if you listen, you'll hear things about my life, and you start to piece things together, right? And um, over the years, I'm, I'm already on the golf course with Pastor Drew in his backyard, and I'm smelling the oranges from his tree, right? <laughs> right? We we just we hear these things and and like we know things about his life. I remember early on um before we were here in, even in the church like we were at his house. Like I'm going through his refrigerator, you know. I'm I'm looking at his stuff like, you know, this guy real, you know, but that's something, you know, you want to know like you're vulnerable. You're giving your life to Christ and you're like, what about this guy who's telling me about it? Like is he real? People want real, so you're going to be curious. I remember going over another friend's house who was a Christian, and like he had, you know, some six packs and stuff. And I'm like, then I'm like, I don't know, I don't know if I should trust this guy. I mean, whatever. I mean, that's a personal thing, but um, you know, Pastor Drew has had some six packs, or I don't know, I, I might not be in as as open, right? But when you're a, a leader, a church leader, or or every all of us are leaders right, in our own little sphere of influence, we're open, okay, and it's, but it's, it's vulnerable, because some people can take advantage of that. So, as New Yorkers, especially, right, we have to, we, we're on guard, we're like, no one's going to take advantage of me, you're not going to try to play me, right, um, because you don't want to, but as Christians, we're called to kind of be somewhat vulnerable, because we're asked to love in ways that are not natural to us. But sometimes people may hurt us. But, and we have to fight through that process to not let that hurt push us to get closed. Because when we close ourselves, then we won't be able to share the love of Jesus. But it hurts, right? Like, I'm sure Pastor Drew's dealt with this. I mean, we've you know, been here for about 18 years. There's people who've come and gone, hours spent praying, you know, your, your, your counseling and you're, you're going through, you're, you're really trying to help this person grow, and then they, they'll just leave and not say anything. And you just, you might want to take it personal, right? Um, you have to have, like, really thick skin as, as a servant of God, as Christians, because they're not rejecting us, they're rejecting Jesus in us, right? And, and Jesus talked about that. He's trying to encourage us, but it's hard. It, it is hard, and it could be discouraging, but we have to remember to try to stay open. Uh, we're probably going to get hurt, but again, they're they're rejecting God, not us. So 
We have to give that all to God. Um, being open is the only way that we could really disciple someone. Because it's not just read the book, right? It's I'm going to show you the book through my life. Um, I'm going to show you, you know, through my actions. I'm going to show you. And that, that's being open, right? So look at Jesus with his disciples, right? Jesus, he lived with them. He walked with them. He showed them everything. And he also had Judas who betrayed him. So does, does Jesus know what it's like to be betrayed? Yes, right? He knows all of our struggles. He's experienced all those things. But uh, he's still you know, he's asking us to, to walk in that with him. He's going to empower us. In 12 and 13, you are not restricted by us, but are restricted by your own affections. Now in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. So the word restricted here is to be pressed tightly. You're not pressed tightly by us. They were being pressed by their false teachers and religious traditions. Okay, so we got to be careful to not put this uh, burden on people to be all these things because that's religion, right? God is that might be asking us to get rid of some stuff out of love, but it's like imagine if you didn't have nice clothes and someone told you you can't go to church unless you're wearing this clothes. Like those are tightening. These are religious traditions. Like. Jesus has come to me, right? All, you know, all who are heavy laden, like, I want to give you rest. Where, and where does it ever mention you have to look or, you know, do, you know, look a certain way or whatever? Um, you know, eating certain foods, uh, following certain, you know, high holy days. Those things are religion, right? Um, own affections in, in verse 12. Uh, um, the word there is for your bowels. Okay, your your inner desires, like your flesh. So he's saying you're not being restricted by us. You're not being pressed down by us. You're being restricted by your own flesh, like those inner things that just they they hold you back, right? We all know where those are in our lives if we've ever really taken account of ourselves. Um, in James chapter one verse twelve, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So we have this, this battle, right? Our old man and our new man. And there's this battle going on. The battle's already won, right? Jesus won that battle. But sometimes we could go back to those old ways, and they could kind of hold us back and keep us in that, you know, I think I've used the, the picture of that unlocked cage. We want to go back into that unlocked cage, like, like the abused animal who, who spent all those years living in that cage and there's such comfort because we're used to it living in that old cage that we don't even know the door is open and there's a whole world ahead of us, but we keep going back, right? Those are those bowels, those, those inner desires, those fleshly things. And, and God's trying to bring us out like, come on, come on. You're trying to rehab us. Get out of that. 
right? Those things, that's not you anymore, right? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, a new mind. He's trying to create us into new images. We look the same, right? But we're different now. We're new. We have these new things. And he has an awesome plan. Like, we, we say those things to people, but awesome plan. Like, he wants to do new things in you. And it's going to be small steps, and he's going to grow your faith in him as you grow. And he's going to say, hey, look, you just took that step. You saw what happened, right? Now try this. And it's going to be a little bigger. And then before you know it, you're doing crazy things. And this, people are going to look at you like, man, that guy's holy. But no, that guy was just you. The same thing, right? And, you, and, and I'm sure some of you are, are on different areas of the spectrum where you're starting to see that God wants to use you, right? And you just keep pointing to him. Just keep pointing to him. So these were his spiritual children, right? Not like these other people who want to take advantage of them. He really loved them. Remember when Solomon was brought, uh, you know, a woman was claiming a baby was his, was, was hers, I'm sorry. Uh, two women said the baby was hers, uh, were theirs. And in his wisdom, he said, all right, kill the baby, right? And the real mother, you know, she said, no, don't, don't kill the baby. You know, I don't care as long as you don't kill the baby. Um, in the same way, we can know who's really... Uh, loves loves the uh, the children, right? And we're we're the children of God. Paul, these are the children, the people at Corinth. Like Paul, really cared differently than these hirelings, people that were just there for the wrong reasons. Paul, you know, his main thing was that the gospel would get out. That was his main thing. He wants the gospel to get out. He wants them to grow uh, for their lives. He wants them to be living epistles. Okay, totally sold out. In Philippians 2.14, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. So Paul is kind of like giving us an exhortation to, to be like he was, to, to be a drink offering, poured out, like just to keep pushing forward, right, for him, for Jesus. Now, Second Corinthians six fourteen to 15, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? So he's making reference here to Deuteronomy 22.10 that said you shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. So yokes were put on two animals, right, in order to create a straight line, okay? So if we're unequally yoked, you could imagine we're going to be pulling in all different directions. So we want to make a straight line in our life, right, spiritually, in our walks with Jesus. But we're the ox, that was the clean animal, and the other one's a donkey. I'm not going to say what what, you know, another word for donkey is. Not, not that guy, all right? But <laughs> you want to draw a straight line. 
okay? And you can't, okay? Because the, the, the ox is strong, the donkey is weaker in the faith, right? And, you know, and we, we say this with all humility. It's nothing special about us. It's just God's taken our blindness away, and now we have the wisdom of God. We were just like them, trying to just figure it out. Like, you know, what, what works here, what works there. Like, we're just trying to figure it out. So now, all of a sudden, we're given this, like, super cheat code of the Bible, and now we understand everything. Life is totally illuminated. All this craziness kind of makes sense. But then we're still connected, you know, in some areas of our life to this donkey who is trying to pull us down in these different ways. And, and, it, and it happens in so many ways. And it, it could be subtle, right? It could be, um, it could be like really overt and, and, and big, right? But the Christless, unbelieving world, they're controlled by Satan, but we're chosen out of this world. So practically speaking, we're going to take a look at, at marriage, uh, friendship and uh, business relationships. All right. So first off, before people start uh, filing for divorce, if you are um, married to an unbeliever, all right, we did cover in First Corinthians because I don't want to have any people coming after me. Um, now to the married, I command, yet not I, but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she's willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. So we touched on this a little bit a few, a few months back. It's kind of talking about like, you are, you are a living epistle. You are the living Bible when you're sold out by Jesus, living in this person's face all the time. And this person is getting the gospel spoken to them all the time. Um, you know, while you're going to annoying church, while you're doing these, these annoying things, that person also is also getting convicted in their hearts and thinking, man, that's pretty good. And, and it's, and it's interesting too, because I bet when you're not around, they talk really nice about you. And, but maybe to your face, they're like, oh, but they're being convicted, right? And, and the children, right? The children are getting brought to church. They're, they're getting taught the word. Um, those things wouldn't happen, right? If, if there was divorce. So, so he, there's an exhortation to stay together. Okay. Uh, and we know the picture of Christ and the church is marriage, and we want to be a picture of Christ in the church. But we know it is really hard to be in a relationship with an unbeliever. We know it is really hard to be in a relationship with someone who's backslidden, right? And um, my wife and I will be married for 10 years, um, I think, next week? Yeah, next week. Yeah. Um, right? 11, 11, 23. Um, so, you know, there's, you know, there, we have times where she's stronger in her faith, I'm stronger in her faith, but we're still pushing each other towards a common goal of knowing him. Like, there's no beef to have a Bible study, like, unless I'm super in the flesh and I'm like, ah, but that's like an issue I got to deal with with the Lord. Like, she's going to encourage me by her walk, I'm going to encourage her by, by, by my walk, and there's like, 
a harmony that goes on and the kids see it and they're going to be excited and there's just there's a straight right but what if every time i went to go to church she's like you know how come you never spend time with the family do you know the type of brunch they have on sundays you know it's kind of messed up that you're spending so much time at church and you're sacrificing your own family for like just think about the the guilt trips and all those things now you're going in two different directions now the, the, the path is a mess and guess what the kids are going to take sides too right the kids are going to say yeah like mom or dad like they're so so annoying they're always going to church like let's go do stuff that's fun like what's wrong with them and now you have discord in the house and now you have chaos and that's not what god brings right god brings peace so we want to go on a straight path so these things are not if you're experiencing them are not foreign this is what the bible says is going to happen like these are the natural processes of being unequally yoked it's just this is what we hopefully try to avoid, but understand that God still has a plan, okay? We're going to look at some other examples, right? So, like, the Jews worshiping a golden calf as soon as Moses leaves them for a few minutes. Uh, we're going to look at Samson and Delilah. We're going to look at Solomon and his 1,000 wives and concubines. And we're going to take a look at how our hearts deceitfully wicked and the biblical example of how we can and should find a, um, a spouse, because that could be confusing if you feel called to marriage and you're, you're like, how do I do this? Like, do I, is it just Christian mingle? Like, do I, what do I do here? Do I update my status? Um, so first, let's look at the golden calf. All right, in Exodus 32, 1 to 4, now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that we shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us out of, up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. He's like, you know, a few minutes late. Let's, let's uh, drum up some other god, quick. Like, it's, we've been here for minutes. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings. And he's, he's going right along with them. Great idea. Break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded cap. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. I mean, they literally just saw miracles by God. Water was parted. They were in slavery for generations. And Moses bounced for a few days, maybe? I mean, I don't, it doesn't say exact, but, and now they're already making, I mean, this is the heart of man. This is our hearts, right? Like, so quick we could forget all the things that God has done for us. Quickly we could forget all the miracles God's done in our life. Quickly how God took us from here and now freed us. And we'll go right back to those other things. And they need this something in front of them to worship. In verse 7, And the Lord said to Moses, Go get down, for your people whom you brought out of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn a hot against them and I may consume them and I will make you make of you a great nation. So 
the same principle of being unequally yoked, right? Like, there's no place for, for two things, right? It's either we worship Jesus or we worship the world. There's no, there's no kind of half, like, going, you know, it's either, it's either one or the other. And God's saying there's no place for both. So we have to guard our hearts, right? Like, what are the golden calves in our life? Is it, is it money? Is it status? Is it stuff, right? Like, you know, this time of year, we, we're going to probably be shopping more than usual. We get that little adrenaline rush and that, that feeling of, I love to shop, right? Like, you know, that we have to guard against it because those things are exciting, right, that, that, that we go through. But we have to be on guard that we keep God first. Um, now, here's a great warning. My main man, Samson. Um, this is one I'll be constantly reading to my son over and over and over again as he gets older and realizes girls exist. So, Job, <laughs> part one, okay, and it's like, it's so, this is so us, okay? Um, God warns, right? He warns through people, and whether we listen or not, right, that's, that's on us. Jo- Judges 14, verse 1. Now, Samson went down to Timnah, and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistine. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Okay? So he, he doesn't know if she's a believer in God. Probably not, right, if she's from there. So he's judging with his eyes. He's like, me like, okay, flesh. Like, I like her form. Then his father and mother said to him, The warning, is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you, may, that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. Okay. See how this ends up. Uh, so part two. Okay, Judges 16, fast forward a little bit. Uh, now Samson went to, to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. Unbelieving Delilah was approached by the Philistines and set out to set up Samson. Delilah tries to set up Samson on multiple occasions and he still did not heed the warnings. He's blinded by lust. Okay, now when I teach sex ed, you know, being in a public school, I, I can't reference these things, but I definitely take from, you know, these things, right? Like, when you're involved sexually with someone, you're, you're releasing so many hormones, endorphins, and all these different things that feel good, right? Because God created it. This feels good. And, and it kind of reminds me of, like, the old Disney movies where they would put, like, a spell on someone, and then the first person they saw when they woke up, like, that's the person that they're going to fall in love with. And then, like, they fall in love with a frog or something, right? I don't remember. But that's kind of how it is with, with when you're involved sexually with someone. Like, you have all these feelings, and you're like, this feels really good. And then you look over, who caused these feelings? It was you. I love you. And it's like, no, you love those feelings that this person caused in your body that was probably meant for you and your eventual husband or wife. But... You hurried up, you, you tried to do these things a little too early, and now you're in love. But then over time you realize, no, I'm in lust. 
and for, for, you know, it could be months, years, where you are basing your relationship off of this feeling of lust, but then what happens over time, like a Band-Aid or, or, a, or a piece of tape that's constantly used, it loses its stick, and eventually that just doesn't do it. So you're like, I must not love you anymore, and now I'm sorry, but we have to get divorced. Or we never got married in the first place, because what's the point of marriage, right? Like, who cares? Let's just move in together. It makes financial sense, right? I'm poor, you're poor, let's be us less poor together, right? We put it it's like, but, but where's, you know, where, where's the order in it, right? And that's what, what happens in this world. We're not making, like, godly decisions. We're, we're just, we're going just from our flesh, right? And the world is saying, yes, that's the way to do it, right? Who would buy a car without test driving? Like, how are you going to know if you love that person? What if you guys don't bond sexually? Like, all these excuses that are used to just be okay for us to sin, right? But over time, just like in Samson's life, it's going to be crash and burn, right? Uh, divorce rates are through the roof, not only in, in the world, but in the church. Half of, half of marriages are getting, ending in divorce. And that doesn't just affect the two. That affects generations, right? Generations, because now you're like, I don't know if I really want to get married, right? And then we see a generation who's like, what's the point of marriage? It's going to end up horrible anyway, right? So I'm not getting married. What's the point? It's just a piece of paper, right? But God he gives us a different standard, okay? So even after Delilah showed herself to, to like be setting up Samson, like he's clear, like, so it happened a few times. What's your source of strength? Because Samson... The Philistines come through, Samson destroys them, right? And then he, you know, so she's like, sweetie, sweetie, please tell me your source of strength. And he's like, oh, uh, yeah, if you just take, uh, you know, tie up my hair with some strings, yeah, I'll pretty much do it. So then they come through, he destroys them again, and she has the audacity to get mad. How can you do this to me, making me look like a fool? Meanwhile, he, she just set him up. Like, you didn't see that the first time, second time, third time, but blinded, blinded by lust. Like, you know, I'm not going to say it's just a guy thing, because it could be both, but, like, guys, we could be, you know, kind of led blindly by some of our lusts sometimes, where, you know, we could talk ourselves into anything. I don't know what was going through his head. But after multiple attempts to fool Samson and manipulation, like, if you loved me, you must tell me your source of strength, Right? Samson gives up his source of strength that God provided. And then in Judges 16.21, the Philistines took him, plucked out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. So they say that sin, it blinds you, it binds you, and then eventually it grinds you, right? And you don't see that, right? And it's like, you see the relationships, and you know they're not based on God's principles. And it's only a matter of time before this starts falling apart. And then there's just wreck and destruction, right? And the scariest part of this story, and which we, which we need to be exhorted and to remember, is that here in the story it says, he didn't even know that the presence of God had left him when this hair was cut. Right, and that happens when we when we're just covered and just 
diving into sin. We sometimes don't even realize that the presence of God had already left, right? And, and it's like, now it's like, where are you? Where are you? But it left already, and he didn't even know because he was so in his flesh, he didn't, he didn't see the difference, right? But when we're walking with God, we know that like God's speaking to us and, and we're just taking these steps, and it's a beautiful thing. But as the world gets in, it's very subtle, and it's soft, and it's sweet. And then eventually, once it gets a stronghold, then it just destroys and this is what happens in, in our lives. When we look at Solomon, right, we're going through this on Wednesdays uh, in First Kings. He loved foreign women. I'm not going to um, go over and in, in, uh, read the whole thing. But if, if you want to uh, reference it, here on Wednesdays we're going through First Kings. And we know that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines, right? Um, God told him not to, first off, have one wife, right? Uh, one wife, like, we went bed shopping yesterday, like, one wife is tough, right, to please and serve, okay, um, a thousand wives, I don't know, okay, she wants, she wants organic, she wants an organic thing, where, for the kids, I don't know, but, um, that's one wife, okay, um, hypoallergenic, but, but multiple wives, like, that's, that's like nearly impossible, right? And what happened over time is that he started to serve these other gods. And that was, and that's the, that's the issue, right? We start to serve the other gods. And having friends who, you know, who married unbelievers, who, um, you know, maybe you were an unbeliever and you got, you know, married uh, while being an unbeliever and then one of you got saved and now, you know, how do you navigate this? But typically over time, what will happen is it's easier for someone to pull someone down than for, for you to, like, pick somebody up, right? Like, and that's what ended up happening. His heart slowly started to fade away from God, and he started to serve other gods. And again, God gives us warnings, right? In our lives, he gives us warnings. Don't do that. Don't do that. And then we're, you know, we're like, oh, God's grace, God's grace, right? But we can kind of take that and, and you know, use it in a, in a bad way right, that sin may abound, we don't want to do that, we want to take those warnings and heed them because he's a loving, merciful God, but he's also not going to get played, like, his word is true, and it, it is what it is, like, we, we can't, we can't fool God, there's nothing under the sun that he can't see, like, he sees these things, and, and he gives us these people who went through these things as a, as a, as a warning to us, right, so, we, not to try to, like, reinvent the wheel, like, God's giving us these warnings. In 1 Corinthians 15.33, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. And in Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? In Psalms 1, this is uh, a scripture when I would go to the juvenile center uh, years ago that I would always share with the kids because I know one of the biggest temptations um, in, you know, with, with kids and, and people around them uh, are their friends. But it's also for us too, right? And I know for myself, for a fact, I had to cut off friends. Like, cut off not like, you know, don't talk to me anymore, I hate you, but more of I'm not going to open up to you about my deepest, darkest secrets and my struggles and because they're not saved. They don't have a spiritual eyes to see. I might have gone to them because they could tell me I'm right, 
right? Can you believe this person? Oh, that person's horrible. Why would they do that? And you're like, yeah, that's right. But God's like, you know, forgive, make peace, right? Like he's trying to get us to a different place, but we have friends that will tell us, you know, no, don't worry about that, right? We, we see that in first, uh, in Kings too. Um, but Psalms 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Okay? Think about Samson, um, Solomon. I'm sure he had friends who told them, it's fine you're in relationships with them. Don't worry about it. You know, no one's getting hurt. Who cares? Don't worry. You know, all right, you cheat on your wife sometimes, right? You cheat on your husband. Everybody does it. It's not like you love them. You just cheat. Like, that type of stuff are things that we could get from the world, right? But his delight is in the law of the Lord. We have to filter our actions and thoughts by the Bible. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Think about how strong a tree planted by the rivers of of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So if we want to know, like, how should we be in relationships? What, you know, what example can we take? So in Genesis 24, 4, Abraham is telling his, uh, his, his servant, Eliezer, to go out and find a wife for his son, Isaac. Now, the picture here is, is the Holy Spirit going out to do whatever we have to do. So for the young men, young women, uh, you know, older men, older women, uh, you know, everything's relative with, the, with God. If you just go along the path that God has for your life, totally sold out, he will bring the person he has for you at the right time. You don't have to force it. You know, you don't have to compromise. It's just, this is the way the Holy Spirit works. But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife from my son Isaac. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, for all his master's goods were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. Then he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher and may may drink. She says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. And let her be the one who you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And it happened before he had finished speaking that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now, we know that God can work supernaturally, right? God has one person for us to marry, right? He may not have any person for you to marry, but it's whatever God wants for you, okay? And God knows what he's doing. So it's like when I'm in high school teaching and I see the relationships, 
and everything seems so great, and they're meeting each other after class, and they're walking. Where's this? Where are they? Have you seen them? Right? <laughs> and before the week is over, I'm like, I'm like, so where is the per? Who cares where that person is? I hope. And and then when now we're having mediations and advisory, and this person said, it's like so much heartache, so much pain that. That and that's just like that's I mean that's the ultimate teenage. But are we that much off? Like in the world, in the, in those types of relationships, it's not that different. And and we deal with the same all this stuff that God never intended for us to deal with. Like He doesn't want us to go through those pains and hurts. He just wants us to do things in peace. And He has a plan, right? Um, you know, seeing the way Pastor Drew was married was a definite uh difference from what our typical view of marriage was Pastor Drew, single Pastor Drew. You should have met him. He had a leather jacket. No, I'm just kidding. But it was <laughs> the same, right? So, he, you know, we'd go over his house, me and Catherine and a few others, and uh, we'd be grilling him on everything because we, you know, want to make sure that what we believe is real. And he's so gracious with us and saying, you know, what does the Bible say? And we're just like, tell us what to do. And he's like, what is the Bible? And then, and then he's like, you know, his big prayer, man shall not live by, you know, like, man, you know, and then like, man, it's not good for man to be alone. And um, he's like, but, you know, like, and he was waiting and waiting and waiting uh, for years, right? And then Susan comes walking in and she's sitting in the front and she's, and I thought she was playing video games because she was on her <laughs> iPad and she was taking diligent notes. And, and I was like, okay. I was like, and then I was like, hey, now we have seven people in our church. Maybe she'll come back. But you know, it's really small. And then um, she came back, and then I remember one one magical day in Juniper Park, and they're they're playing guitar together, and we're like, you think? <laughs> right? Like, like, is it possible? Now, right? What, and what what they've shared is that. Um, the Lord was telling Susan to leave her church to go find a new place. And she was delaying while Pastor Drew was praying. Please, send me my wife. <laughs> right? The dynamic of it. Like, God's working everything together. Right? And, you know, and I, I share with some of my students in the Christian club that sometimes in our lives we could be answers to their grandma's prayers. Like, their grandma, their parents, their, the loved ones in their life are praying send someone to tell my grandson, my granddaughter, that Jesus loves them. And then here we are. Hey, Jesus loves you. And it's like, and God orchestrates things in beautiful ways. And that's including in our marriages and our relationships that God has this one person. And that's why you don't have to stress and fret and do all those things. You just walk in God's plan. Just do the simple things and God will bring those things to, to come to pass. And to see it happening, you know, it, it was a great blessing to see the faithfulness. But you know, and when we walk in faith, it's always like, but do you need help, God? Like, I could try to do this maybe to make it go a little, but it's that's where God wants to bring us to, a place where we just have total faith that he's in control, right? We don't have to manipulate or, or do anything to make it happen. And what agreement has the temple with God, of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Right, so we're the temple of God, uh, you know, collectively as the church, also individually. Then, just like in the Old Testament, you know, you don't want to bring idols into the temple of God, right? You don't want to bring idols 
into a holy place. It's about being sanctified, just to be careful not to bring these things into the presence of God. Um, we see throughout the Old Testament, I don't know if you guys have been through Kings, Chronicles, all the bad kings, they kept setting up these altars. Time and time again, it was just like, dude, like, get over these false gods. Like, there's nothing. You know, they're, they're nothing. Um, and we, but we are still the same. We're not that far off where we'll bring in these fake gods time and time again. But we need to remove some of those old altars from our temple. A really good king would go and they would remove all that old stuff. Okay? Remember, we're new creations. So we can't rely on, well, that's my culture. It doesn't matter. I don't care what your, you know, what your culture says or does. We're new creations. We've got to do what the Bible says. Because that culture will keep us in bondage sometimes to drinking, to anger, to adultery. Oh, it's just what we do. Like, no, that's sin, right? And God's asking us to be new creations. In Leviticus 26.2, you shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Jeremiah 32.38, they shall be my people and I will be their God. Ezekiel 37.27, my tabernacle also shall be with them. Indeed, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them, and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Almighty God. And this is a constant theme that the the prophets in the Old Testament are trying to encourage the people, and even today. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Be clean you who bear the vessels of the Lord. Ezekiel 20, 34, I will bring you out from my people, from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you are scattered with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and with fury poured out. And in 2 Samuel seven fourteen, I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. So sometimes God will use the things of the world to correct us and chasten us and discipline us, but it's out of love because he knows we're getting off track. So if anybody would like to stay after for prayer, maybe some things have crept in you want to, you want prayer for, um, please feel free to just come up. You know, We'll stay up for a little bit after. Um, but today's the day. It starts off in 2 Corinthians. Today's the day of salvation. Today's the day to get right. right? Don't wait. To say, well, once I get these things, you know, in a little while, when I'm a little older, that's when I'll take it serious. The time goes quick. And there's never going to be a perfect time. That's why God's always saying that today's the day of salvation. You don't get clean and then take God serious. You come as you are and God's going to clean you up because he loves you so much. He's going to close us in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for today and thank you for your word. I pray that you would uh, bring these things to remembrance. Help us to be real with you. Confess sins. First uh, John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We know you sent your son Jesus to die for these sins. And you sent your Holy Spirit to illuminate and to give us power over these, these sins that we face, these old ways, these flesh. So I pray for the people here today. Pray for myself. Please encourage us exhort us, empower us, God, to live this this holy life that you've called us to. And we thank you, God. Thank you for today. Please be with the people here today. And we just give you all the praise in Jesus' name.